Hello and welcome to Quo Vadis Institute's Rethink, a podcast that will supply you with thought-provoking approaches to and reflections on some of the most challenging issues of our day. For some, working is a great joy. It's fulfilling and it's meaningful. Yet for others, working might be seen as a necessary evil a burden we must carry to be able to do the things we enjoy in our spare time. In this series, looking at the overarching theme of human flourishing, what does it mean for a human being to genuinely do well? We must therefore touch on this incredibly important theme, work. To help us explore this topic, in today's episode, we are delighted to welcome Daryl Cosden. Daryl Cosden has a distinguished career as a theologian and a leader in higher education institutions. And Dr. Cosden holds degrees from Bryan College, Denver Seminary, and the University of St. Andrews, where he obtained his doctorate. Following his academic education, he has worked in institutions all over the globe, literally, ranging from Judson University in Illinois, International Christian College in Glasgow, Donetsk uh, Christian University in Ukraine, and most recently uh, with and uh, for Pacific Theological College in Fiji. Daryl has published uh, widely in the field of theology, ranging from theological anthropology, what does it mean to be a human being, to Christology, who is Jesus, and from Jürgen Moltmann, a famous recent German theologian, to modern contextual theologies. Above all, however, he is known for his focus on the theology of work, on which he has published two monographs, A Theology of Work, Work in the New, Co- in the new Creation, and The Heavenly Goods of Earthly Work. Daryl, we are so honoured to have you here with us, and I cannot wait to hear more um, of your thoughts. Thanks, Jasper. So, um, just, yeah, it's good to have you um, all the way from the U.S., um, but first of all, and especially um, looking at the breadth of theological education, um, what was it specifically about the theology of work that drew you to this topic? And that's an interesting question. And the phrase itself is interesting, right? A theology of work. Hmm. What is that? Um, the first time I heard hmm. it, I had no idea what it was talking about but I'll get to in a moment, it, it, I knew intuitively um, for, from a set of experiences I was having that, that, that that's what I was looking for. But, but before I, I get into that, let me just kind of paint a bit of a, a, a picture about the phrase a theology of work, because I, I think it's important. Um, prior to n- or 1990-ish, Protestants probably have never heard of the phrase, a theology of work. Very few, anyway. Um, It was a phrase that uh, actually gained cachet, a little bit of of currency in Europe at the end of the Second World War. French Catholic theologians facing the question of the rebuilding of Europe. Um, The fundamental question is, what is the church have to do with these very practical things of rebuilding Europe after the Second World War. Um, We have to get life rebuilt in its fullness. And what's the role Mm. of the church in this? And, you know, there there was a complicated history of 
of the church, particularly the Catholic Church in the Second World War. Um, and so a number of French theologians started playing with the concept of a theology of secular realities, right? There's a theology of the Eucharist, which mm -hmm. is obvious. There's a theology of the cross, you know, all these religious things. But what about ordinary daily life, secular realities, things that are common to everybody, not just of interest to Christians? And one of the first things they said was, what, would it, what does theology have to say to work? And, and so the phrase, well, is there a theology, like there is a theology of the cross, is there a theology of work itself? Ordinary, daily, mundane, you might want to use the word secular, whatever you want to call it, work itself. And they began, mm -hmm. um, a, a group of folks began experimenting and, and writing little statements here and there, thinking. Now, Protestants at this time, man, they, they were still working in the typical way that Protestants learned to talk about work, and that was under the doctrine of vocation. Now, you know, the word vocation is simply the Latinized word in English for the word calling. And so thinking about mm. one's work as a calling, um, for Protestants anyway, was really, really cemented into our vocabulary uh, with Martin Luther. But interestingly... Calling is a doctrine in itself, right? It's a Christian doctrine. And under that, we would talk about work. Well, that isn't really talking about work itself. That's talking about our calling and where work fits mm -hmm. within it. So a number of, uh, I only found this out much later, actually, when I started doing my research, but um, um, Protestants, and particularly um, the Protestant theologian Mitoslav Wolf, uh, picks up this phrase in the, the late 80s, very, very turn of the early 90s, um, and publishes a book called Work in the Spirit, where he introduces this concept, I would say introduces it to, to a wider Protestant audience. Now, I didn't know any of this. I am moving overseas for the first time, coming out of uh, having been a youth pastor, and sensing that that something in my theological training and something in the sort of Christian religious experience in suburban, white, semi, mostly affluent America, something was a little off kilter, but I didn't know really what it was. When I moved into the Soviet Union um, in the, the, the end of the Soviet period. So I moved there at the end of uh, 1990, beginning of 1991, in that January period, um, mm -hmm. and, and began to experience Christianity during the collapse of communism. Uh, I, was, I was, some of those things that were frustrating me about American Christian experience in church life, um, which I, I can talk about more, but some of that uh, was just like put under a magnifying glass in that experience. So I literally simply heard the phrase, a theology of work, from a friend of mine who was um, uh, leading a study center in Austria at Schloss Mittersill. And he said, we're having a, a short course called a theology of work. We thought you might be interested in coming. I had no idea what that meant. Hmm. I knew. I simply knew that's what I'm looking for. 
right? So I know it was a simple mm -hmm. question. What is it that really drew you to a theology of work? But it's much more of a sort of existential gestalt feeling. I knew there was something about mm -hmm. the work that the average person did daily that mattered and made a difference in the way that the church mm -hmm. in the Soviet Union at the time, and even in America at the time, were not grasping. That there was something about ordinary mm -hmm. daily life and our need to flourish in it as opposed to leaving it to go into some kind of a full-time, maybe paid vocational ministry, which is fine, mm. and it's certainly for some people. Mm. But you know, those people were always like the better Christians, the higher Christians. The ones who made it. The ones who find... And, and when I was told this in Russia... Um, when I finally make it like you and don't have to work anymore and can just be in ministry, then I'll know I've spiritually arrived. I was told that by a Russian friend. And I knew something was mm. broken and it needed to be fixed. So as someone who's currently sitting at the bottom of that castle where you were probably um, uh, su suggested to, or were suggested to, to go into that that direction or to kind of dive into that more deeply it's it's interesting for us to have that conversation now here um so what would you say in light of the development of you know the last kind of a hundred years of theological reflection and this growing into or a fleshing out of this concept of a theology of work that is not just kind of with vocational ministry at the pivot or at the pinnacle of it but has like a a full fleshed out understanding of work um in as vocation but also as a as a as a kind of good in itself what what do you think that last 100 years of development has kind of argued for are the cornerstones of the theology of work so what is it stooled on um what is the main point that it's trying to to kind of show or or argue for yeah, so, you know, people ask, why hadn't the church done a theology of work before, you know, let's say the 1940s or, or, mm. or even, and, and it's realistically, work wasn't really a question before then. It was the rise of the Industrial Revolution mm. where working wasn't just what you did to sustain body and limb or you weren't working close to the ground, but people started selling their labor to those who owned a factory, for example, that, that the question of work mm. and how we work, but, but even more importantly, what is work itself in relationship both to human identity, what is its relationship, and what is its relationship to the creation itself? You know, the environmental movement mm. um, in some places might suggest that, that our working has become the problem for the world. You know, and, and they're not wrong hmm. uh, at all, and, and because it often has. Hmm. So, so I don't think we can just talk about work in relationship to what does it mean to be human and human flourishing. I think hmm. we have to talk about work in relationship to what does it mean to be creation and the whole of creation's hmm. flourishing. So the fundamental question for hmm. theology of work really is, what is the place of human work within God's purposes 
for the creation itself? And is it mm -hmm. simply, you know, survival, pay the bills, have enough money mm -hmm. to do what, you know, you really want to do? Or is there some deeper sense of meaning and purpose, which itself then would have a, a deeper spiritual dimension, a spirituality, if you will? Mm. And so I think the, the fundamental questions, you know, in a, in a more abstract theological sense, before we start talking about particular patterns of on-the-ground work in particular cultures, I think the more fundamental question is, um, is work something that's good for us, intended as something good for us, at the heart of human flourishing, and at the heart of what it means to be a human being? Or is it somehow mm -hmm. an imposition or uh, as some have suggested, a result of um, fall into sin or, or something like this. Mm -hmm. So, so the, the fundamental question of, of work is really, um, did God design the universe or at least humanity within this planet in relation to the universe in such a way where work getting, had a purpose and an intention or is it just mm. uh, beyond simply survival, beyond mm. simply that, mm. or not? And that, that seems to be both a, a theological question and a question for spirituality, and then ultimately a question for mm. ecclesiology. What does it mean to be church in light of that? Um, and it turns out that a theology of work is simply examining the concept and the practice of work from each of these different traditional, maybe doctrinal areas. So what does the doctrine of creation teach us about work? What does the doctrine of Christology mm -hmm. teach us about work? What does Christian theological anthropology teach us about work? And you can just go through every sort of traditional doctrine and interrogate work mm -hmm. from its perspectives and, and hopefully arrive at some sort of a normative understanding that, that, that it is a basis from which to begin an ethics of work when we start looking at individual expressions and practices of work. Hmm. So you've already hinted a couple times at, you know, some Genesis language, you know, fall, creation. Um, so if you look at those first chapters of Genesis and just kind of inviting also like not only you pointing out where the questions lie, but also, you know, what will your answer be? Just looking at kind of Genesis for the moment, how do you see work positioned there in kind of a positive light and perhaps inherent to God's act of creation instead of something that goes kind of beyond that? Yeah, this was really a revelation to me when I began my, my research. It's not something I'd even learned in seminary, although to me, once you know to look for it and you read it, it's, it's just built in there at, at the heart of, of the narrative, particularly the uh, first mm. 11 chapters, but, but not exclusively, but particularly at the first 11 chapters. Um, so, I mean, what, what's really interesting is when we see the first creation account in Genesis chapter 1, and we reach that famous phrase that the church has speculated on its meaning ever since it, it, its birth, um, and God created humankind in God's own image. Male and female, he created them. Mm. 
So what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the image of God? Uh, the first thing that's talked about right after that can broadly be called work. Now, I'm not reducing that to employment in the modern sense of the word, but I'm talking about a purposeful, active engagement with creation that somehow um, affects the creation. And I think within the context of the, hmm. the history of, of the narrative of the book of Genesis, where um, God is bringing order out of chaos, something about being created in the image of God is an invitation for humankind, uh, male and female, together, to, to participate with God in this continuous ordering out of chaos. And the garden is the first sort of picture and example. Um, we get hung up on rule and subdue, and I think rightly so, because they're problematic translation words, at least in our cultural context, because it has implied domination and control. Where I think a better translation of these concepts and a, and a better imagery is one of the, the nurturing gardener. You know, in, in the garden, someone mm. who's uh, uh, tending so that each individual plant or fruit or vegetable flourishes. So the care and mm -hmm. the, the tending and the bringing the order that's required of that. And, and, you know, so that's just, you know, the climax in a way. Okay, the, the Sabbath is the ultimate climax, but humanity is placed right before that with this mandate to increase, spread out, rule, subdue, okay? Then you get to mm. Genesis 2, and it's really interesting. The, the creation account there, the order is slightly reversed, right? Um, so God didn't create any of those other things because there was no one there yet to work it. And then you see this... this and there had not been rain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that there's this potter imagery um, of... Uh, the formation out of like the clay formation of humanity and the creation for Adam of, of, of this helper. And uh, so you see at the heart of it, then this image of God concept repeated and mm. the notion that at the very center of God's creation project, for some reason, working isn't just good for the ground, the garden, the creation, however you want to, to visualize that, but that it also has some purpose in relation to us, in relation to our being, um, dare I say, becoming the image of God. So I think there's an aspect of the image of God which is a given, it just is, but I also think there's an aspect of, of, of the way the narrative is structured to where it's something that one is um, moving toward. And again, I think that the New mm. Testament actually teaches that with Jesus being the image of the invisible God. So there is always this forward mm. trajectory of the image that um, we were in the process of moving toward. And somehow... Our work is bound up with that prom that, that 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 progress that I don't like maybe progress isn't the right word. Somehow maybe promise is the right word.
but somehow our working is bound mm. up with that process of going from um, the first steps to somewhere that God wants to take us. Now, if that's true, mm. which I believe that it is from the first, and you, and you can trace this through the rest of the chapters of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that this mandate of amago dei and rule and subdue is the grammatical link pin which holds these first 11 chapters together, right? Um, it, yeah, how that then transitions into Abraham is an interesting another conversation for another podcast. But all of that to say, I think that um, somehow both our humanness and the flourishing of the world are spiritually tied together with the question of our ordinary working. And, you know, this is not, mm. I mean, it is priestly in the sense that we represent creation to God and God to creation, but it's not priestly in a clerical sense of the word that we think about it today. Mm. So is it religious work or is it secular work? It, it's a, it, the question doesn't make sense. It, it's, mm. it's a spiritual, mundane, ordinary, get your hands dirty, um, do these creative activities, you know, for, mm -hmm. you know, and so clearly I think um, the dichotomy between what I would call spirituality and daily work or Sunday and the rest of the week or any of these other dichotomies, we introduce them improperly um, because they're not mm -hmm. there from the beginning, you know. Mm -hmm. So, thanks so much. That's really helpful. And and again, you you hint um, at kind of the the forward looking aspect of work. You know, it's we currently live in a kind of quote unquote post fall um, state. Something has changed. There was a curse about something with sweat on the brow and working the land. And um, how do you think of? our current work in relation to kind of looking back at that first work of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, the, the kind of stewarding, the maintaining, to the work now, which is post-fall, which is post-curse, and kind of the, the age to come, to use a theological word, the eschaton, you know, the time to come. How How is that relationship? Is this the work that we're doing now? Does it resemble the work that we were doing and will it continue going forward? Or um, how do you, you, you already hinted at it, but just to kind of um, yeah. be a bit more explicit about it. I mean, it's interesting what, what categories we, we might want to use to talk about this. And there are different ways to do it. So in the classic Reformed tradition, we typically talk about creation, re uh, fall, redemption, and then maybe... Um, for those who are really in the know, we go in and talk about um, restoration and new creation. Mm. And, and I think it's okay to talk in those terms, and I think it's useful to a point. But um, the Eastern Church, for example, doesn't even talk in those terms. So, so uh, mm. I first want to take a little discursus into, into them um, because I find this interesting. And, and then I'll come back to the more traditional way that maybe our listeners are used to thinking in terms of mm. creation, fall, redemption, and work therein. Um, so for the Eastern Church, the fall is real, 
but the fall is not the same kind of a cosmic disruption. Because the idea was mm -hmm. that God created humankind to be in God's image. Okay? Now, they, there's an interesting split in the concept of the image of God and the likeness of God from that early Genesis verse. So, so many, I'm praying in broad strokes, and we'd have to look at individual authors, of course, but in broad strokes, um, the Eastern Church would have said, would say that, that you're created in the image of God in order to attain to the likeness of God. And that that's a progressive mm -hmm. movement. In other words, we're not created in a way that we're ready to be fully like God. And, and we're not created in a way to have God's presence with us 24-7, full-time, in the way that we will in the new creation, um, when apparently we're, we're somehow ready for that. So that readiness, obviously, is presented in terms of a spiritual growth process. Okay, so the fall isn't seen as this maybe catastrophic disobedience which ruined everything, including work and everything else, but rather seen as an act of impatience. So, for example, humankind is promised to be in the likeness of God. Now, the tempter comes along and says, don't eat from this tree, right? Because, you know, that'll make you like God. Well, it can't be a sin to want to be like God, since we were created with the disposition to be like God. So it must be mm. that the way we wanted to be like God is presented as the sin. And that's presented in the Eastern Church more as a question of impatience, wanting to jump the process, wanting to get there now rather than to walk humbly with God through ruling, subduing increasing, spreading out, you know, those, those Genesis mandate type things. So if that's the case, if that's an, if I find that an interesting and compelling reading going back to Irenaeus and making its way through the church fathers into the Eastern tradition, if that reading makes sense, then our work was somehow bound up with our growing to know who God is, and walking with God step by step mm. to the point of what we would call the full presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we look to in the end, in the new creation. Mm. Now, if I were to use more of an Augustinian and a Western model, then work was seen as something that was... Um, pristine and perfect and maybe already at its height of what we were supposed to do and that somehow that paradise was lost to quote Milton with, mm. with paradise lost in which case the curse slash related to work isn't so much seen as a natural consequence but it's seen as a sort of judgment or pronouncement of God against work. Mm -hmm. And that has given the church a fairly negative attitude that many people would say, isn't, isn't work a result of the fall? Which it isn't, but, but you can mm. certainly see why if, if you're working within that scheme 
And then you get to this passage where the work is cursed and, you know, Genesis chapter three following, you go, wow, maybe, yeah, maybe work is the fall. So salvation is depicted of not needing to work anymore, getting beyond work, um, living eternal retirement or, 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 or however mm-hmm. we, we might perceive that. The interesting thing is some Reformed voices stop there and forget that we're already redeemed. Right? We may not be fully redeemed mm. in the reform scheme yet because there's that restoration step that comes in the end. But we are redeemed, so we live in this already-but-not-yet time within that scheme, right? So some aspect of work mm. experiences what we all know and experience as the brokenness, the futility, the struggle, the pain. I mean, unquestionably, anybody who's ever worked knows this experience. Um, whether that's employment or whether that's just working around the house trying to keep it from falling apart, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but there's this all Christ has already redeemed creation, but not yet fully redeemed creation. So what does that mean for mm-hmm. work? That work is already redeemed, but not yet fully redeemed. Again, we're talking theologically in mm-hmm. the abstract here. We're not talking about individual expressions of work put in place by markets or governments and then regulated in such a way or manipulated by those in power. We're not even talking about those things yet. We're just talking in the theoretical, theological. I think we have Mm. to go on and talk about those things, but I, I typically call that more of a work ethics than a theology of work itself, mm-hmm. you know? So, so mm-hmm. from my perspective, to, to bring that back to, to your point, um, there's something about work that isn't just related to now, but is actually um, mm-hmm. bound up not just with the initial creation, but with the future, the new creation, with what mm-hmm. language we use as eschaton or ultimate goal, telos, purpose for the creation. Hmm. And um, that's one aspect of theological thinking about work that Mitislav Wolf sort of laid out the trajectory for that wasn't being thought about. Hmm. And then my work picks up and really tries to unpack that and develop it. And now I think you find it's a more common it's common in conversations about work amongst those who are interested in the theology of work, um, even if it's not known by the average churchgoer at this point. Hmm. So, uh, to to kind of pick up on something you just mentioned, this this difference between the more theological questions and the more kind of um, ethical work, or um, how how do you see these theoretical, theological questions trickle down to the day-to-day work kind of situation? How do you think that a proper understanding of work as something that is at least in the already and not yet, at least partly redeemed, it kind of is a continuation of this Genesis um, positioning of work as as meant to be and, 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 and good and it is something that carries forward into the time to come. How does that shape the way in which we think about work, but also how we kind of 
practically shape our work contexts and situations? Sure. So, I mean, what's interesting is work is like ridiculously, notoriously hard to define. What is work? Well, everybody Mm. knows what work is. You ask anybody to define what work is, and it just devolves into chaos, right? Well, you know, like working is employment. I'm like, only? Like, what about a housework? Oh, yeah, that too. So, um, and what about athletics? Like, you work hard on the field when you're playing. Is that working? Right. So, the minute you start trying to define work, things go haywire. And so, actually, my first project in my PhD at St. Andrews was simply trying to come up with a theological definition of work as a way to get to that very ethical application. And, you know, Mm. as we academics do, we make it all convoluted with high fancy words and everything. But I ultimately concluded that from a theological point of view, work was essentially three things. Okay. It was obviously some kind of a means to an end. You work to eat. You work Mm. to stay out of trouble so you don't get into sin. You work for some reason other than work outside of work as it is somehow a discipline and good for you and necessary, okay? Mm. Maybe we could call that the economic value of work, but that's maybe too narrow. Um, It includes the economic value of work, but maybe we would just call it the sort of instrumental or something like that. That's what I did. But then I also saw that work was the way that humans primarily, not exclusively, but primarily if you count up the number of working hours that humans have to do now, but also historically when we didn't have technology that allowed us this kind of free time, work was our primary way of interrelating with each other. Okay? So there's Mm -hmm. something inherently relational about the working process that um, if humankind is created to be relational, which I think is also bound up with the image of God concept, because God is a triune God, a trinity, and is a being of relationship, being in relationship, then, then humans, in order to be beings in relationship, are also active in the way that God is active, right? So somehow about our working in practical terms has to meet some kind of criteria for um, livability, sustainability in the first place. It's sort of means to an end. But it also has to provide an opportunity for humanness, human relationality, human uh, interaction, which brings deep meaning. Again, it's not exclusively work. The family is another sphere. Okay, but, you know, the family was understood in the ancient Near East as working together. So I don't like the dichotomy between work and family. Yes, it is the contemporary experience, but it was certainly not the ancient experience as such. Um, Hmm. And so whatever working ethically is supposed to be in our lives today, spiritually speaking, because I don't like to even divide ethical and spiritual here, it should be a place of of relational flourishing, right? And and that hmm. and, and, and if we understand ourselves as distinct, unique persons, individual persons in relationship to others, which I think is a healthy anthropology, and that anthropology includes a sort of functional dynamic 
I, a doing something dynamic, then it's not just relationship with each other, but it's our relationship with ourself, our understanding of our own identity, our own place in the world, our own who am I? Well, I am Schumacher. I am Smith. All these words that are really, we call them names now, but they were describing someone's working identity, not distinct mm. from who they were, but as fundamental to who they were. But of course, they're more than that. Okay. But mm. then in all of this, I kind of found that there was this one other, um, I found there was this one other dimension of work that was required to make sense of how those two interact, how those two, the sort of relational side and the instrumental side were related, um, that was much more at a sort of base level, a more fabric of the universe level, if you will. Philosophers might want to call that ontological level. Um, but there's something more fundamental about the fabric of the created universe itself that that gives those two aspects, the instrumental and relational, its own meaning, but also stands as a dimension in its own right as part of its definition. And I mean, I called that ontological because I couldn't figure out a better word, to be honest. But it simply means that... Um, Work is built in. Work is built into creation's identity, our identity. We are workers. We don't just work. We are workers. And we become ourselves. And we become our community in how we work and what we work at and how, those relations, and how we work out those working relationships on the ground. So I, I think when we see those three things working together, and this is what I try in the first book to, to unpack, I think when these three see these three things working together, a kind of vision for what the workplace might look like or could look like starts to come into, um, into view. And if I can use something called like the kingdom of God language here, it might be helpful. So as, as I understand the kingdom of God, it's the presence of God in such a way that, that like basically maybe four sets of relationships are all set to right. They're all put in their right place. And that would be our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, my relationship with myself, and my relationship with creation. And that somehow flourishing is when all of those things are properly functioning and put to right. Okay. So now I have some kind of a, not an arbitrary standard to look at a particular workplace and start evaluating the experience, but I have some set of criteria that I can look at. Okay. Does this workplace dehumanize me or does it make me a flourishing whole person? Does this workplace destroy relationships within my community and within my culture? Or does this workplace provide an opportunity for enhancing and building them? Does this workplace um, give me a sense that I'm 
engaged with some transcendental, this uh, something bigger than myself, uh, dare I say, an opportunity to say, hey, there's a reason for this and God, you know, the God reconciliation question. And then is, is it good for the creation or is it bad for the creation? And I think if we can take any product of work, we can evaluate it along those lines. And maybe if we take any processes of work, we can evaluate it along those lines. Now, I'm not pretending like Christians have some kind of a secret answer to this. I think we have a theological answer that grows directly out of our faith that we've neglected or haven't seen. But it's not that sociologists of work, philosophers of work, um, uh, business people or others don't realize some of these truths. When you treat people with dignity and treat people well, like a case study I did with Service Master, your work flourishes, it expands, it grows, it's good for people, it's good for relationships, it develops people, it grows people, right? You don't, and, 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 and secular thinkers, non-Christian thinkers are tapping into this. We're seeing that certain approaches to managerialism are dehumanizing, so treating people holistically in the workplace, you're bringing your whole person to self. I mean, these things are also being discovered elsewhere. To me, the sad thing is that we should have been leading the way as Christians in the church, and maybe some of us aren't even catching up to, to what's being seen in, in the social sciences or, or in, in the other sciences. Um, but we, it's been there. It's part of our heritage. It's been part of our identity since... Um, Israel, it's been uh, made clearer to us in Christ. And, and it's related to the ultimate flourishing of creation that God will live in and spend eternity with us. Yeah, I mean, the, the workplace is full of, of businesses that are intentional about this, whether for spiritual reasons, because they have a Christian um, leadership, or, or, or just people who are um, trained under maybe a Drucker management system or, or whatever. Um, this is well known that you can uh, address these questions and make a better workplace that is both good for our people, good for us as individuals, good for our communities, uh, good for nature itself, good for creation. I mean, there's always going to be tensions here, right? And there's always going to be compromises that need to be made. And some places are, are, are serious and clearly problematic. You know, I think our, our biggest sort of human stress is when we 
separated the work process from the work product. And we just began selling our labor um, hourly, for example, in the workplace with the rise of industrialization. And we became cut off from um, the product of what we were producing. Then I think it's you start to feel robotic. You start to feel dehumanized, depersonalized, alienated, as Marx said, from, from your work. Alienated, therefore, Marx said, from yourself. I think he was on to something there. I mean, he, he didn't have all the answers, and he certainly, I don't think he had a lot of the right solutions, but he certainly was asking a right set of questions about early industrial working processes, which continue in various forms of employment through to today. So without getting into the debate between capitalism and, you know, uh, I, I'm frustrated by the anti-capitalist um, agenda because I don't think it's asking the right questions. I think it's surface level um, because I've also, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning, I've lived in uh, Marxist, extreme Marxist Soviet context, and that's not the answer, I can assure you, either. So somehow I'm not, I am convinced that systems matter. I really am. And I'm, consist, I'm convinced that some systems at least nudge in a more healthy direction, and some systems nudge in a less healthy direction. Um, none of them are equated with the kingdom of God. But I do think that within a system, the more that it takes human flourishing, human freedom into consideration, the more space it has for creativity, the more it can uh, tap into some of those themes of the kingdom and the image of God. Um, and we have a long way to go because capitalism in the West has so many problems and global capitalism has so many problems. And, uh, you know, the great resignation through COVID, workers are saying, I don't want to live like this anymore. And so they leave the workplace. It's not that they don't need to eat. It's not that they don't need money, but they're just, there's something about getting back from it that they looked at and said, I, I'm not going to work like that anymore. I'm not going to go into the office every day and sell, give my soul from sunup to sundown to the workplace that may or may not care for me. I've seen there's another way of being and living. I think that's an important moment that the church should be on the front end of uh, tapping into and saying, whoa, what is this telling us? And what does that mean for both the way I personally as a Christian choose, choose my employment if I have a choice but also what kind of vision do we want to cast where we have our lines of authority within the workplace to reshape it and make a difference. Thank you so much, Daryl. That was incredibly helpful. Um, it's good to hear um, that work, uh, we don't have to think of work as something we just have to bear with, but that there is a way and that you encourage us to think about ways in which to kind of positively understand but also shape our workplaces that is in line with this overall call um, 
or this overall wish for us to flourish as human beings, but as holistic human beings, kind of moving in all lines, be it ontological, as in being, our relationships, um, and our ultimate end, and the way in which we were intended. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if any of you um, would like to read more of Daryl's um, work, uh, in which he is much more detailed and much more elaborate um, than he has been able to be in these 45 minutes, I do encourage you all to read his work. Um, it's very much worth your time. Um, and Daryl, I hope that we can talk in the future again. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to be with you, and uh, I hope it's helpful. Thank you. All the best. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this session of the Quo Vadis Institute's podcast, Rethink. And I trust you have been inspired and encouraged to do just that, Rethink.